Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Deflected into the top of the crease. He's got his first as a Canuck. No, he was obviously he was great tonight for us. It's Carlson with an empty net. Beautiful move. Shoots and scores. We're disappointed that we lost tonight. It's been a while since we've done that. You lose. Good day, sir. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650, and we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by... North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Wait for it. Kintec. Yeah. We got a big show today. I'm excited. Canucks start phase two of this unforgettable regular season with a win over Carolina last night. We'll get into all that in a bit in case you didn't hear the post-game show. Uh, 6.30, Jeff Merrick is going to join us on the program. He, of course, the host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, We'll go around the NHL. The other big news from last night, Edmonton's reign of terror over the National Hockey League is over. They fall one win short of tying the all-time record for most wins consecutively in a single season. This just this team just cannot win at the seventeenth game, right? They can't they, they can't just, clutch up? They can't. I mean, you win all those other games, but if you can't win the big one, I don't know what kind of team you are. Uh, at seven thirty, it's not like you only need sixteen to win the cup either. Right? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I forgot about that number. Shut up, laddie. Shut up, laddie. Uh, seven thirty. Dave Hall is going to join us. First time guest here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. He is a Prospects writer for Canucks Army. We will check in on the baby Canucks, the Abbotsford Canucks, and their all-star, their all-star MVP, Archdeep Baines, and all the other baby Canucks. They get back in action this weekend in Colorado. So we'll talk to Dave Hall, first-time guest, about that at 7.30. And then another first-time guest on the show at 8 o'clock, Jason, royalty. Well, municipal royalty. Ken Sim, the mayor of Vancouver, is going to join us to talk about preparations. Yes, already. For the 2026 FIFA World Cup. In case you haven't heard, Vancouver, not a big deal. Getting seven games at the 2026 World Cup. How many Toronto get again? Six. How many Seattle get again? Six. Eat it, both of you. Ken Sim's going to join us at 8 o'clock. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm... uh... I'm curious to ask him what kind of preparations are already underway, um, how much work the city has to do, what it's like to work with FIFA. And also, one of the things I want to ask him is, what is planned for all the fans that won't be able to get into BC Place? Right. Like where where can they assemble? And how can we make sure how can we make sure that that doesn't go sideways? Can we just invite everyone downtown? 
Yeah, unregulated, un- totally unregulated, drinking all day, whatever. Everyone, what, what everyone, go wrong? everyone will behave themselves. It'll be yeah, fine. it's a summer. The weather's good. People, yeah, we just trust you're having a good time. You just have to check their ID, and if it says anarchist Y or N, if yeah. N is good, Y is bad. <laughs> Could you please fill out this form, sir? Uh, also today, speaking of big events at BC Place, the Rugby Sevens are coming to BC Place from February 23rd to 25th. Every day this week, we are giving away a pair of tickets to the entire three-day tournament. So if you want in on that, you know what? Because uh, I think it's been tough for people to send in some of the emojis. If you send in a ticket emoji, a rugby ball emoji, or a Canada flag emoji into your what we learned, hashtag it, WWL, we will enter you into the contest to win a pair of passes for all three days of the Rugby Sevens at BC Place from February 23rd to 25th. Working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock, Mayor of Vancouver, Ken Sim. 7.30, Dave Hall from Canucks Army. 6.30, Jeff Merrick. Yeah, big show ahead. Without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. The newest of the acquired Vancouver Canucks, Elias Lindholm, scored two power play goals in his debut with his brand new team. The Canucks extend their point streak to 12 games, and they win 3-2 against the Carolina Hurricanes at PNC Arena. On Tuesday night. Yeah, the Canucks improved to 16-7-3 on the road, which is just a ridiculously good record away from Rogers Arena, where they happen to be 18-4-2. And And it all adds up to, in 50 games, the Canucks have won 34 of them. We have played the Detroit fan blogger 34 times this year. Yes, the winning goal by JT Miller was a bit fortunate, but this was not a lucky win. The power play now featuring uh, Elias Lindholm, who's a good tipper. Did you know this? Yeah. But, but did you know beforehand that he was a good no, tipper? No. I had no idea. I was like, is this Tony Tanti out there? It was amazing. Um, came up huge. The power play came up huge when it needed to. And Thatcher Demko was a brick wall in the third when Carolina pushed for the tying goal. The Canucks blocked all sorts of shots. Um, but you know, Lindholm coming up huge when it needed to on the, on the power play where all the Canucks big guns are and Thatcher Demko in goal. Those are your star players getting the job done in what Drance would call high leverage situations. I still don't understand what it means. Okay. It means the parts of the game where, you know, a big play or, or, or a goal or a big save at those key moments is important. Ah, right. So, so it's like, not just your average run of the mill moment in the game. Yeah. It was a, you know, the game is hanging in the balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it like be a leveraged lo- either way. So a low leverage goal would be like, it's 5-1 and now it's 6-1. Got it. I right? know. Understand, understand that? And okay. to a lesser degree, Drance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it wasn't just the power play, and it wasn't just goaltending. There were also stretches during the game where the Canucks dominated at 5-on-5. Five five. One of those stretches ended with Teddy Bluger drawing a hooking penalty. Rod Brindamore didn't like the call. No. But the Canucks were you know, owning the puck in Carolina's end, and that led to Lindholm's first power play goal. Petey drew the other key penalty on Carolina. 
when he fought for body position and was hauled down by Tavo Teravainen, rather aggressively too. So I know Lindholm and Demko will get the most love after that game, and rightly so, but I cannot stop praising that third line. It's been a major, major reason the Canucks are where they are. Mm-hmm. And I threw this out on Twitter last night. Imagine if they'd successfully traded Garland. Yeah. He's become such an important part of the team, along with Bluger and Joshua. But they couldn't give Garland away this offseason. Ditto for Brock Besser. It's it's just so great to see those guys succeed. Each of them has put in a lot of hard work. They were challenged by the team to, you know, especially we heard the stories about Besser. Um, come back in better shape. You know, maybe don't just hang out in the beauty league all summer. Um, put in the work. And it's great to see the, both those guys have success. Um, as an aside from all this positivity, more positivity, that was a really good hockey game. Yep. And it's so nice to watch quality hockey involving the Canucks. We've watched so many dog games the past few years where you could tell the intensity wasn't there. Some of that was the Canucks, you know, being downtrodden and kind of clueless out there. But the other part of it would be when they played the good teams, the good teams would be like, eh, whatever, it's the Canucks. No, that's a good point. That's a really good point, actually. And talk it after the game, um, compared it to a playoff atmosphere. And like, a few people have done that in the past few years and they've been laughed at, but yeah. but it was true. I, I, I'm watching this game and going, this is great preparation for the playoffs in terms of how every inch of the ice was fought for and how physical it was and just the quality of the players out on the ice. I don't know if you caught it yesterday, but when we had Kane's general manager, Don Waddell, on the show, he very subtly mentioned that, oh, we got a big test tonight. You know, Vancouver's coming in. This is one of the sort of premier teams in the league. And a couple people texted it into the Dunbar Lumber text line. And they're like, I can't believe, you know, rival executives are talking about the team like this. But that's what the Canucks are right now atop the standings. And you mentioned the quality of game. And I want to play the talk at audio now, Laddie, because he was asked not just about um, what it felt like in terms of maybe being that, that playoff-esque feel, but he also lauded his team for the way that they approached it and the way that they limited Carolina, who I will remind you was one of the hottest teams in the NHL going in to the All-Star break, limited Carolina through those first two periods. We got two clips here from Rick Tockett postgame following a 3-2 win over the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, let's roll them now. Well, yeah, we scout them pretty well, how they play. Um, they like to throw a lot of pucks in the net, and I thought after they only have nine shots, I thought... That's hard to do against Carolina. I mean, they're a heavy volume shot team. But, um, you know, I thought we played behind them. Um, we got a couple of lines that were tired, got extended. They, But I think we held the, we didn't bend, don't break kind of defense. Yeah, I think especially you want to get into that physical hockey. Um, and you got to use the bench. Um, and I shortened it at the end. But um, when you play Carolina fast teams, that heavy volume, you know, you got to use your bench. It was it was a fast-paced game out there uh, for 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 ten days off. Both teams, I thought, it was like a little playoff atmosphere. And if you listen to the rest of the post game, actually, it was interesting. I mean, they they finished with twelve shots after two periods, not nine. So he was close, but uh, a little bit off. But I think the point remains is that 
um, as the team continues on with an obvious eye to the postseason, we're going to get more and more references and illusions and coming in the morning after a game and being like, this is the kind of thing you need to do to win in mm-hmm. the postseason, or this is what makes a playoff team successful or not successful. And I think that was a nice blueprint, at least through the first 40. And then really in the third period, what you can expect if you have a lead in the playoffs where a team's going to make that inevitable push, because here's the thing. When you go to the postseason, more often than not, all the teams are good. All the teams are going to have the capability yeah. to make that push in the third period. So, well, Especially when you're playing on the road, too, right? You're going to get that extra push from the home crowd, and there's going to be desperation, and that was naturally going to happen. Yes. Like, that game could have gone either way last night. Sure. Um, you know, if the Hurricanes had won that game, it would have been like, yeah, well, you know, no complaints there. But I don't think that it was a lucky win for the Canucks or it was, you know, like, again, um, a number of things you can say like, well, the power play won it for them. Okay, well, how did they get that power play? Right. It was by having the puck at five on five. Right. And having those good shifts and drawing those penalties in the offensive end, you're going to draw more penalties. And then, of course, you have to have a good power play. And then right at the end, when you're trying to protect that one goal lead and the other team, they're talented, too, and they want to win the game and they are going to push. And that's where kind of game management comes into play. And it doesn't really matter if you get outshot, as long as you're doing everything you possibly can to make the right decisions to ultimately win the game. And it's okay to admit, like, hey, we've got a good goalie. Mm-hmm. So let's make it as easy as possible for him. And we're pretty sure he's going to make the saves. Block your shots, manage the puck well. Um, was it perfect from the Canucks? No, it's not, but it wasn't. But hockey's, a, you know, hockey's not a perfect, you know, there, there's never perfect execution in a game. And the Canes had their chances, but that's why the Canucks have invested so much in Thatcher Demko mm-hmm. right from the start, from using a draft pick on that guy to developing them the right way paying him well, committing to him, whereas other teams, you know, they sometimes handle their goaltending a little bit differently from an asset management. They're just kind of like, yeah, we'll take this guy. You know, the Canucks have dealt with it in a different way, and that last night was one of the reasons why it's so nice to have one of the best goalies in the NHL. Okay, the new guy. You mentioned the power play. Elias Lindholm steps in. Two power play goals. Now, I want to play the audio, not from Rick Tockett, but from Quinn Hughes, because I thought that was really interesting. Uh, you know, Hughes is a bit of a hockey nerd, and he's got the immediate recall on numbers and what guys have done in their past. And this is a sort of back and forth with the reporters in his scrum talking about Lindholm. And I think there's a couple of key takeaways. I'll let everybody listen to it first, and we'll pick it up on the other side. This is Quinn Hughes, the captain, talking about his newest teammate and two-goal scorer, uh, Elias Lindholm. I just think that he's he's there and um, he's obviously really a really skilled player. He can get those tips and um, if I probably shoot down 50 pucks, he'd probably tip 49 of them, you know. So it's the type of guy we're dealing with. He drew the first one back towards goal. That's a, a play that not a lot of people can execute. Were you aware that he could pull a puck back like that? I mean, I know he's a very skilled and talented player. I mean, he had 42 goals two years ago, so that do, that doesn't just happen. And um, he made a great tip and. You know, I think the main thing was him being there and being patient enough to um, sit there and wait for the puck to come. 
So this is kind of the exciting part now when you actually get to watch the guy play because all due respect to the analysis that we had prior to him playing a regular season game for the Canucks, Mm -hmm. it was mostly a 200-foot player ad nauseum and then smart, high hockey IQ. But you really want to... He's pretty big. Yeah. There's a lot of things you're like, oh, didn't think about that. Oh, didn't know that. Um, I would not have suggested going into this. And again, my knowledge of the league is decent, but I don't know the ins and outs of every single player. Um, just sort of an under, having done some reading afterwards, sort of an understood, very underrated, but very talented net front presence mm-hmm. who has produced on the power play before. Now I bring this up because, and a reason I brought up the Hughes audio is that the clip that I loved was if I put 50 pucks on net, he's probably going to tip 49 of them. Right. And what, yeah. what have we seen from Hughes this year is an increased volume in shooting, increased goal total, obviously. But with that man advantage, which has been good this year, mm-hmm. but has it gone through its lulls, adding yet another facet and dynamic and ability to – its I mean, you're talking about gravy for a hockey team, right? Like We had a good power play before. Now we've got a guy that can really convert some of these Hughes point shots because what is Hughes good at? Walking the blue line, making, you know, forwards miss with his little shimmy moves and everything and getting pucks through. Mm-hmm. Having Lindholm there to be able to tip, it's like, wow, that's another aspect of the game, especially come playoff time where when do more cliches come out? Greasy goals. Yeah. Pucks in front, you know, get tips, get all this stuff. It's just you don't want to go overboard with one game. The no. guy's going to probably have his struggles and he'll probably have some games where he's ineffective, but. If they've added another layer of offense and another wrinkle that will help them specifically in the postseason, that is awesome. So I'm very hyped about that. Halford, I have a question for you, and it might seem like it's kind of out of left field here. Sure. Do you have, when you're when you're coaching soccer, mm-hmm. you know you and Talk had had that uh, conversation uh, last week. and Me and Talk. Talk and, and Sock. And like as soon as he brought up the triangles, you were like, that sounds like soccer. Yep. Um, do you have to teach the kids a lot about gaining body position in soccer, not only offensively to hold on to the ball, but also when you're trying to get the ball back? And the reason I ask you is all the guys on the third line are really good at you know, gaining body position in order to win puck battles. You can see Lindholm does it too. There's no fishing for the puck. You know, Petey gained body position too. Um draw the penalty on Tara Vinan, Bluger did it, uh, to draw a penalty. There's a saying in hockey called position before possession, which mm-hmm. means like you don't just go for the puck, you gain body position first, and all the best 200-foot players do it. Like if you ever go and Google position before possession, it'll be a bunch of like clips of, you know, well, Sid, it'll be uh, Bergeron and Marchand, mm-hmm. like all these guys that know how to play the game the right way. And, and they're not they're not fishing for the puck. They're not standing outside a scrum and just kind of like poking at it and, you know, just hoping to chip it by someone like they they get in there first. Yep. Do you have to do that in soccer. Yeah, you do. I mean, you, the I won't go too far down the road of like when you start teaching kids this element of the game, because that's not really the point of the conversation. No, 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 no. But um, what you're seeing right now, where my kid is at, it's. It's that 12, 13, 14-year-old age range where the size dimensions of the players is so crazy because some kids hit their right. growth spurts early. And that's There's where, Garland's out there. There's Dakota Joshua's, all so sorts of that's, different. That's really key because the Garland-sized kids out there 
um, are starting to realize that, well, I've got tons of skill and I can dance with the ball at my feet. And it means absolutely nothing yeah. because I don't have the physical positioning mm-hmm. to be able to do the things that I want to do. And you can see the wheels starting to turn in their head um, there. Yeah, there's lots of things that you have to. I think the biggest thing you have to understand or that the kids have to understand is that there is going to be a physical element to the game. Yeah. And that once kids realize that they can lean on you and take possession by leaning on you, mm-hmm. you have to counteract that. I right? just see that such an improvement with the Canucks now. Well, they, I think it's. I think a lot of it has to do with personnel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like there, there are certain guys. But I think I, I do think the coaching staff has taught them a lot. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, here's the thing. Garland by any but rights, but you're right about the personnel thing. Yeah, Garland by any rights shouldn't be able to be driving a third line that plays the way that it does at his size. Mm-hmm. He should be getting forced off all kinds of pucks, but he's very good at utilizing a low center of gravity, and he's got an, a really innate ability to um, leverage guys. Like he leverages himself all the time, yeah. and he, he puts gets him himself between, between the defender and the puck. Right? Yeah, 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 and that's the big thing. And then when you can take that skill set and have it click with two other guys, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it goes from being, well, he's doing a nice job, but it's kind of ineffective because it's not translating into anything to, well, now he's becoming a play driver for Bluger and Joshua. And it's all because of chemistry and it's all because of fit. Um, We're going to talk with Jeff Merrick about some of the other NHL stories, but let's uh, just celebrate for a moment that the Edmonton Oilers' reign of terror is over for now. Mm. Um, speaking of good hockey games, that was a good hockey game. There was a lot of intensity in Vegas. Uh, the Vegas crowd was ready for that, and they wanted to put an end to the Oilers' streak. And the Oilers might have been at a bit of a disadvantage in that they had to go through the All-Star break and then right back, and Vegas was waiting for them in a really loud arena, and Vegas is... I don't know if you've heard, they won the Stanley Cup, so they're a pretty good team. Can confirm. Despite the fact that they've got some key injuries right now. Um, it was a good game. It was an intense game. Um, and Vegas came out and top, on top in the end. And the Oilers' winning streak is over. They fall just shy of matching the 92-93 Penguins' 17-game winning streak. Um, what did you think of the game? Uh, it was, man, so tight, like a playoff game tight in the third period. Jack <laughs> Michaels, who was on the call, must have mentioned, I don't know, 10 or 12 times how difficult it was just to get anything through on Vegas. And that was a cross-seam pass entering the zone. Uh, really just completing any sort of pass that wasn't just banking it around the perimeter. There was no space and no time anywhere because that's what Vegas does, right? They know how to play in front of their goalies. Yeah, and that's... I have a new underrated, most underrated player in the NHL. Who's that? Nick Waugh. Yeah, so he scored the eventual winning goal last night, I think. I'm not too sure. I mean, he's been there. Hasn't he been forced into their, like, first-line center role with Eichel out and Carlson out? And Vegas locked him up for... Three million bucks a season for mm-hmm. three or four more he's years. He's very good. He's a he's a really good player, he, and and he was part of the you know the the great depth that Vegas had that helped them win the Stanley Cup. Um, and we saw we saw how important that depth was, mm-hmm. and having good players in in the bottom six, useful players, um, efficient players in terms of the cap, how that helped Vegas win the cup. And it's one of the reasons why I spend so much time talking about this third line. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think the Canucks' third line 
is a major, 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 major reason why the Canucks have been able to have such success this year. So I want to touch on one thing here, and I want to play the audio that we've got here. This is the call of William Carlson's empty netter that, I mean, it was funny listening to the broadcast. They essentially conceded the winning streak right here, even though there was about 35, 40 seconds left. Just listen to the reaction the celebration, and then what Jack Michaels has to say about the way Vegas celebrated. Uh, this is it. The end of Edmonton's 16-game winning streak. Audio right here. Golden Knights come up ice. It's Carlson with an empty net. Beautiful move. Shoots and scores. 3-1 Vegas. 33 seconds left in the streak. And the Golden Knights are celebrating like they've won an overtime playoff game. You all heard that, right? Oh, he big mad. You heard that, right? Now, I just want to bring this up only because a quick glance at the NHL standings. If the game, if the season was to end the way the standings are right now, your first round matchup in the Pacific Division would be the second place Vegas Golden Knights against the third place Edmonton Oilers. It is. It is. It is vitally important that the Canucks win the division. Yep. They are seven points up on Vegas with a game in hand, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. And they're uh, 14 points up on the Edmonton Oilers. Now, the Oilers have a bunch of games in hand on everybody, but here's the thing. Um, There was a feel. I wasn't there. Obviously, I was at home. But there was a feel in Vegas last night that that was significantly more than just a regular season game. And it was. There was the the win streak on the line. There was the the playoff matchup from last year. There was a lot of non-hockey people on my timeline based out of Vegas who were like, hey, I'm going to a hockey game tonight. Warren Sharp, who's a very noted NFL uh, guy, he's like, I haven't been to a hockey game in 10 years. There's a lot of people in Vegas walking around in McDavid jerseys like, what's the deal here? Like, this was a big game. Mm -hmm. And they played it like a big game. It was There was not much to choose between the two teams. It was razor-thin margin difference between them. And all I kept saying was, this is awesome. Stay on the trajectory you are, and then beat each other up in the first round. Right? Because that's what we want now. You know, a lot of people have, have brought up the fact that the Oilers have played so few games as an advantage for them. They're like, oh, they got all these games in hand. They'll... You know, they've got more games to make up points. And that's true, obviously. But... It also means a, a lot heavier schedule mm-hmm. for them in the second oh, yeah. half of the season, right? They got a lot of back to backs, right? Yeah, it's you got to play difficult. a lot of games. Yeah, yeah. So, so I wonder if that's going to wear on them at all. Hopefully, Jeff Merrick is going to join. Well, hopefully, period. Jeff Merrick is going to join us next on the Halford and Prop Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cadre flips it ahead to Huberto. Gains the line with a pass over. Here's Kuzmenko. Scores! Kuzmenko versus a flame. It comes on the Play and it's what nothing Calgary 6:33 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 6:50. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast, is going to join us in just a moment here. The highlight of hour one. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. I think the Canucks are going to get an f- angry Bruins team on Thursday. 
after losing to the Flames. Apparently, uh, I, I wasn't able to watch the game because the Canucks game was on at the same time, but uh, apparently the Bruins were a little listless. Yeah, Monty was not happy. Charlie McAvoy got tossed at the end of the game. Yeah. They, were not, they were not pleased with their 4-1 loss to the Flames, which we should mention. Andre Kuzmenko, we played the audio coming mm-hmm. back from break. Good for him, you know? First game as a Calgary Flame. He scores. Huberto scored. Can you imagine if Kuzmenko is the answer for Huberto? Yeah, who knew? <laughs> Just unlocks him. Yeah. Of all the guys to unlock Jonathan Huberto. <laughs> Let's go to the phone lines now. It's the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. Jeff Merrick joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Jeff? If I told you two years ago when that Johnny Gaudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk line was, with all due respect to Boston and Colorado and Dallas, the best line in the NHL hands down, and if I told you that in two years they would be replaced by Andre Kuzmenko, Yegor Sharangovich, yeah. and Jonathan <laughs> Huberto, what would you say, gentlemen? I, I'd ask where the other players were. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know what? We were talking about this yesterday, and I was... I mean, I Bruff was kind of giving me a hard time that I was under underplaying how good Sharon Govich is. And he is having a good year, but the, you he know, did. it was it was funny listening to Ryan Huska talk about him going to be their first line center because he said, yeah. "Well, you know, he's, he's played some center with us before we started the year. He was our four C." And I'm like, "That's quite the promotion." He played center in Pee Wee, yeah, for young Sharon Govich. But <laughs> I know, and I, I know. Look, I know that the, the trade and Lindholm was probably the bigger facet of it, but we talked a lot about the connection sure. in the intro. So, um, you know. Calgary last night. We'll get to that in a sec. I got. We got to start with Edmonton, though. I mean, that was just a okay. tremendous game last night. The Oilers. The Oilers finally lose after 16 in a row. Now, I know that recently, and I saw the video last night. You and Elliot spoke to McDavid and Drysital about their awful start to the season at yeah. Edmonton, and the quote that struck me was, I think it was McDavid said. It felt like we couldn't play hockey anymore. Yeah, it was yep. crazy. So, in light of that. How remarkable is it that this group, this particular group, has set the Oilers franchise record for a win streak, uh, the Canadian team record for a win streak, and came within one of matching Mario and the Penguins for the greatest win streak in NHL history? Yeah, pretty remarkable. And I think what I think the subtext of uh, of McDavid saying it, it felt like we didn't know how to play hockey anymore was me and Ekholm were really injured bad, and without us two. Uh, this team is, I don't want to say doomed, but it's going to be challenged to win games here. And then all of a sudden, when we went to Lourdes and bathed in holy water and came back healed, everything was just fine. I, I think it's funny, too, because I remember sitting across from McDavid, and the first thing I thought of is, you know what happened here, Connor? You got healthy. Like, that was the, like I know we always try to overcomplicate things, and it's our sort of job to come up with the you know, different angles and take 360 views, et cetera. But how much do we look at Edmonton and just say, Connor and Ekholm got healthy. Now, Knobloch made some tweaks and they, you know, decreased their, you know, high danger chances in front of the net and Stuart Skinner's game has improved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I kind of look at all of it and say, well, yeah, Connor, because you got healthy. That was the big one here and Matthias Ekholm as well. So um, I understand the frustration uh, early on from them. It cost Jay Woodcroft his job. Um, but this is, this is remarkable. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I think I'm the same as you guys. You look for, not necessarily wins and losses, but what's the best storyline? And tell me that last night's win by the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, without Michael, without Shea Theodore in the lineup, how that wasn't the best of all possible outcomes for an opening round matchup between these two teams, which is where we're clearly headed. Well, Jeff, we were talking earlier in the show about, like, the Canucks got to win the division. So Vegas and Edmonton set up in the first round. 
You it's know, like, done. They're, come on, stop it. They're winning the division. It's done. It's over. Forget it. Please don't. Go ahead. Get please, ahead of please yourself. Please don't do that. Re- please the, don't the rest, do that. The rest of us are already there. <laughs> the rest of us are already there. The division's done. It's only a matter of who's going to get home ice between Vegas and Edmonton. Come on. I don't Absolutely. think it's quite like the Bruins in their division <laughs> last year. Um, okay. Those are two pretty good teams chasing the Canucks. And one of the you things. You sound like a coach now. You sound like a coach. Well, I, I do, I do, do coach a seven and eight year old, so I am. Oh, I am very a coach, good. Okay. Yeah, and you know, we, a lot of good, lot of lot of good players in that room. We have a lot of respect for them. It's a very well coached team, very disciplined. It's exactly, be a really hard game. Um, yeah, and also just like I'm a lifelong Canucks fan, so everyone, you know, everyone in Vancouver I just waits it. for the other shoe to drop. Um, but I, I, but I, I want to see, I want to see Vegas and Edmonton for myriad reasons beyond just like them beating up on each other while the Canucks yeah. play someone else. I think it would be an amazing series and the storylines really if either team wins would be incredible. If the Oilers win, they got over the hump, but you know, they they couldn't pass last year. And if Vegas wins, oh, how delicious that would be. Oh, absolutely. Well, here here's the interesting thing. We always talk about, well, in, in boxing there's the old saying, you know, styles make fights. You know, some fights are duds, right, but sometimes right. you get two fighters that stylistically just match up. So Hagler-Hearns is perhaps the obvious one uh, for a lot of people, certainly for me. But the interesting thing about Vegas to me is, and maybe it's just because every team gets up and they always get the other team's A game, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team in the, in the Western Conference that doesn't have great games with Vegas. Minnesota-Vegas games are elite. Dallas-Vegas games are tremendous. LA-Vegas games are fantastic. Edmonton, as we most recently saw last night and last year in the playoffs, I mean, those those two teams just want to kill each other. You know, back when San Jose was good, that was my television. Like, can you guys think of another team other than Vegas where every other team gets up and gets gives their A efforts and produces better games? Like, I'm fully convinced <laughs> that nobody makes better games with 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 different opponents than the Vegas Golden Knights agree disagree discuss. Well, it's funny. I agree with you, and I think it's hilarious because remember Vegas came into the league, and we all thought that every team that went to Vegas would just be awful. Yeah, yeah. They'd just be like, oh, it was a big, you know big night last night. You, you, you know what? I, you know what I thought Vegas. I remember talking. I think I might have talked to you guys about this too. My idea was for Vegas to was to work with the schedule maker and make all their Sunday games afternoon games. <laughs> if you really want to have home ice advantage in. Vegas, here comes a twelve thirty start, boys. Wakey, wakey. <laughs> you, know, you know what else is really fascinating about them is that the the style of hockey. I mean, I don't know how much of the third period you caught yesterday, but it was airtight. Yep. There was there was no yep. space to do anything. Yep. So you'd think that that wouldn't lend itself to really exciting games because there's no time or space to do anything. But you bang on. Like you watched that game last night, and we played the audio of Jack Michael saying how they were celebrating like they won a playoff game in overtime. And there was a reason for that. It's because that game was played at a fever pitch and the high stakes. And it was entertaining despite the fact that it was really tight checking. Yeah. And you know what? Here's here's my main takeaway from the entire streak and certainly from that game as well. Um, The Oilers learned how to play defensive hockey. And the Oilers have learned how to defend. Like, I'm not sure what what you guys are going to take out of, you know, the last 16 games that we saw with the Oilers. But for me, the, the big takeaway is, all of a sudden, Edmonton knows how to play defensively. Edmonton can play a two-to-one game, can lock it down, can you know play well in their own zone now, can defend, and that's one of the common denominators with all successful teams. Vegas, 
Colorado, Tampa, like all of them, St. Louis, when they won the cup, Edmonton, I mean, do you not get the feeling that Edmonton, I don't want to put him in that Vegas mix with the blue line quite yet, or maybe even at all, but this is a team that plays much better defensively than I think we've ever seen. We are speaking to Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, the Canucks are going to be in Washington to take on the Capitals on Super Bowl Sunday. Not to look yep. too far ahead here, but we were talking about Alex Ovechkin yesterday. Last night, he scores his 10th goal. 10th goal Ooh. of the season. This year. He's on pace for 16, which would be his lowest by a considerable margin. I know you had Tarek El Bashir on the show. I think it was yesterday. yesterday uh, and you yeah. guys were talking about Ovechkin and this, you know, Kuznetsov entered the NHLPA's player assistance program. Nick Baxter isn't there. The team is kind of floundering. They've lost five in a row. But specifically, what did you guys have to say about what Ovi needs to do to get this thing turned around and try and chase down Gretzky's record? Yeah, uh, you know, Bashir, I think, brought up a, a a great point, and that is, you know, Alex Ovechkin isn't 25 years old anymore. You know, Alex Ovechkin is on the shady side of the mountain, not the sunny side of the mountain with his career, and he's still chasing, as you guys, we all know, this significant record held by Wayne Gretzky. And uh, Tarek said something quite interesting. He said, you know, at the end of the season, you know, he's got a second half here, and he'll see what he can salvage. But at the end of the season, Alex Ovechkin has to make a decision. Does he want to dedicate himself to staying in the best possible shape so he can take a really good swing at this? Otherwise, he's not going to get this record. Like the one thing about Sidney Crosby, and we always sort of use him as a as a measuring stick for Ovechkin because they they came into the league together, and for as you guys know, a long time that that was always how the NHL was marketed. It was Sid versus Ovi. Um, Crosby's gone out of his way to make sure that he's in the best possible shape, comma always. And you still see it. Like he's having one of his best seasons this year as the Penguins try to fight and claw and get into to playoff contention here in the East. Ovechkin's not that guy. And he's never really been that guy. Like he's always been big. He's always been strong. He's always been able to move. He's always got the great shot. He's always been a physical player as well. But we're not seeing any of this as uh, at all. And listen, Tarek Al-Bashir is there every day, every practice, um, every game, on the road, all of it. And his point is, is one that I think a lot of us have wondered about. Is this guy serious enough with his off-ice conditioning that he's going to put himself in a position to catch Gretzky? And right now, you look at his game this year, and you say no. Like, I agree with Tarek. Like, I, I think he's right. And um, I, I think that this capital, Capitals team is going to have a major decision to make, decision here. As, you know, they, they lost a tough one to the Montreal Canadiens last night. You know, albeit, you know, Ovechkin finds the back of the net, but still, like, if if the Washington Capitals significantly fall out of this one, and listen, I'll throw an, uh, just a sidebar here. I have no idea what's going to happen in the Metropolitan Division. I think we all have a good idea about the other three divisions, but the Metro is still very much jump ball. You know, is Washington going to go through some type of youth movement while Ovechkin is chasing this record? We always thought that the answer was a hard no, and they're always going to fill the team with veterans that were going to be able to, to get uh, to get Ovechkin this record. But, you know, Tarek, this was a fascinating conversation with him yesterday. He said, don't be surprised if the, uh, the Washington Capitals, if they really fall out of it this year, go through some type of youth movement. That has to terrify Ovechkin or anyone that's hoping for him to catch and beat Gretzky. Um, it's funny, yesterday we were talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins and 
we were just like, how is their power play so, so bad? And we brought up the stats, and it was running at about 13%, and only Chicago yeah. was worse than that. And then, lo and behold, Brendan Dillon takes a, a match penalty oh. on Noel Achari last night. Um, the Penguins are already up one nothing, but the Penguins scored two power play goals, and they end up beating the Jets, a pretty good team, 3 to nothing in Sean Monaghan's debut for the Jets. So that didn't go so well for Winnipeg. But for Pittsburgh, whenever I watch them play, I'm like, that's a good team. That's this is a this is a good team that that I'm watching, but their power play has been so so bad considering all the talent, the Hall of Fame talent that they've got. They kind of going like I'm not asking for you know thirty percent Oilers stuff or whatever. I'm you know yeah. just like twenty percent. They'll make the playoffs. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I don't disagree. And if they keep getting goaltending legs, so which we saw with Tristan Jari, uh, shout out number six on the season uh, for him. Um, yeah, if if the power play gets going, that solves a lot of their woes. Uh, debut for Jesse Pugliarvi as well yesterday for the uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mark Tracely comes like that was an intriguing game. Yeah, and then as you mentioned, like the uh, the, the shoulder to head hit Dylan on on Nola Chari. Man, that looked bad. Anytime you see a helmet pop off like that and go straight up in the air. Yep. Like that, that is one of the rarest things you're going to see in a game. We've seen helmets, you know, come off before. We've seen helmets slide off before. But when you see a helmet pop up straight in the air, almost cartoon style, you know that player is in a lot of trouble. And and Achari clearly was. Um, you know, the interesting thing about the, the the Pittsburgh power play is it's not like they're overpassing. You know, like Tampa used to do on the power play. Like how many times did you guys watch a Tampa Bay Lightning game and say? Well, what do you guys just freaking shoot, please? <laughs> How many passes? I understand you want to make the puck really pretty before you shoot, but can you please just shoot the puck? Like, we get that you're sublime playmakers and passers. Will you just fire it? But that's not Pittsburgh. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think we're all trying to figure out what's the problem here? Because they're not overpassing the puck, despite all the skill they have on the on, on the power play. I don't know. Like uh, th- someone's going to be a very like someone's going to really earn themselves a reputation in the NHL if they can be brought aboard to help cure this this Penguins power play. Because I, I I'm with you. Like I'm fully convinced that that might be the only thing holding them back right now, considering all the talent and the good goaltending. The only thing holding them back from a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference in a division that, again, I will reiterate, I have no clue mm-hmm. what is going to happen. Zero clue. What happens in New York if the Islanders miss? Oh, that's a great question. Um, if the Islanders miss, I think we are going to see changes, and we've already seen a change behind the bench. I, I think, like a lot of us, I think we all wonder what the future of Lou Lamarillo is there because this will be another sort of, you know, whack at the pinata. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a sort of Gordian knot of contracts that the Islanders have. that's going to be really tough uh, to unravel. So I, I would wonder if, if the Islanders really fall out of it here and don't make the playoffs that I think we would all look at, and I may be way off on this, but it would be the one area that I would look at. I, I would wonder about Lou Lamarillo yeah. because this is this this has all been done on his watch. He's eighty one years old. Bless him. I know. <laughs> like it's it's I know. he is an incredible 
hockey executive, what he's done in this league is remarkable. Um, and I'm not suggesting that his mind is gone or anything like that, but you know, it, it might be some time, it might be time for some new ideas, he, but how much yeah. power does he, he obviously wields a lot of power in that organization. So it's it's almost like it's almost like firing a guy like Bill Belichick. Like it has to be done in a certain way. Yeah, uh, I agree. Where there's still a position there, again, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. All three of us are, but there would have to be a situation where it would be presented as voluntary and maybe a falling upwards situation uh, if if the Islanders get to that get to that point. Um, but you're right. Like it's been a remarkable career. I mean, his place in history is already well earned, and his reputation is cemented in this industry. I, I just wonder. You know, Elliot and I always talk about Matt Barzal and talk about how you know the NHL is right now missing on one of the great personalities of the game, and that's because he plays with the Islanders, right. where it is it is crest first and you know uh, name bar second. Um, and Matt Barzal, I mean, everyone saw him, but also like you guys know BC guy, like he is elite, elite skilled player and he's a tremendous interview and a big personality and has his like fashion game on point as well. Always a tremendous interview, but you're never going to get the full package of Matthew Barzal as long as he's playing with the New York Islanders. And that's because here's how we do it. You grab a razor, you put on a button-down shirt, and you keep your head down after you score a goal. And that's the Islanders. Now, for a while in the NHL, that worked. That's what they were selling. It's not what the NHL is about anymore. Um, uh, one final question, Jeff. Uh, yep. And I'm going to ask you to make a prediction. Where does, Chris, where does Chris Tanev end up? I keep saying Toronto. Now, I keep saying Toronto and then keep looking at their draft situation and say, hmm, they don't have any second-round picks. <laughs> and I don't think they want to give up a first mm-hmm. uh, for Tanev. But, I mean, it, it seems as if, it does seem as if Toronto has been the most aggressive in pursuing him. I know there's a, a wonderful story if he ends up back with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, but I'll, 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 I'll still maintain that somehow, some way, he ends up with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But it's not as if there's a shortage of suitors here. There's there, there's there, there's a lot of teams looking for Chris Tannen and at Chris Tannen. Do you think Brad Living feels, or maybe the best question would be to Sheldon Keith because it seems like every second game he's like pleading with his players to to do better and saying you know you're making peewee hockey mistakes out there. Like, how much of a chance do you think they feel they really have? The blue line or the entire team? The well, the entire team. I think like well, the chances of them actually you know, going all the way this season to the point where they would add a rental like Chris Tanev, or would it have to come with a, with an extension? I think it would have to come with an extension. uh, And I think that's where things may get complicated here, but uh, it's not exactly a a secret that Brad true living is looking to redo that blue line. And if you look at how Brad true living has always, you know, behaved as a manager, um, a, every trade he's made, he tries to get a defenseman in the deal, and he believes in building your team from the back end out. Um, so I don't think it should be any different with the uh, with, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I, I do think that there is a feeling amongst some within the Maple Leafs organization that this might not be the year to go for it, that this might be the year to keep the, the powder dry and, and see where you go and then make more of your moves in the offseason. 
that's there 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 very much is that vibe amongst some in the uh, enemy police organization. Jeff, thanks for doing this today, bud. We appreciate it. Have a good show later today. We'll do this again next week. Do you want Kuzmenko back? He scored a really nice goal. I think you know what? I think everyone's happy right now. (laughs) Everyone's good. I think you guys are good. Yeah, I think Vancouver's good. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, boys. Be yeah. good. Uh, Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show, 7 o'clock hour. we got an open segment coming up. So get your What We Learns in, not just so we can read them on the air. We are giving away a pair of tickets to all three days. That's right, a tournament pass to the HSBC Rugby Sevens. February 23rd to 25th at BC Place. If you want to go to one of the best sporting events on the local calendar, get a What We Learned in, hashtag it WWL. Now you can put a Canada flag tech emoji into your text. You can put a rugby ball emoji into your text. Heck, you can put a ticket emoji into your text. Just put something in to let us know that you want to win the tickets. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. We got an open segment on the other side, so text in any questions or comments into the Dunbar Lumber text line. We can go back to last night's Canucks win over Carolina and look ahead to the rest of the road trip, which continues Thursday in Boston against a Boston team that was not very good last night against the Calgary Flames. Um, 7.30, we're going to chat with Dave Hall about some of the Abbotsford Canucks, uh, especially Archdeef Baines, um, who's you know doing everything he possibly can to get a call-up to the Canucks outside of intentionally injuring one of the Canucks to allow him to get called up. Right. And then at 8 o'clock, Mayor Ken Sim. Um, and we are talking about the World Cup. Uh, Mike and I don't cover civic politics. Not well, anyway. For a living. Um, so we're going to be talking about sports stuff because that's our expertise. I realize there are all sorts of things happening in this city. Um, we will probably not be discussing those things on the show. Just so you know, just so you know, we're not ducking out of anything, but we want to talk about the World Cup and all the preparations that are going into it, what you as fans who will attend the games at BC Place, but maybe more specifically won't be able to attend the games at BC Place, what you can expect from the World Cup. So we'll talk to Ken Sim about that at 8 o'clock. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Reserve your spot for the big football party at Clayton Public House, hosted by Sportsnet 650. Visit them at theclaytonpub.com on the internet for more. Clayton Public House, good food, good people. Good times.